Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. My job is driving me crazy. Ah, sorry. Do you hate your job or does your job hate you? Sorry. Sorry, I can't find the answer to the question I heard. My career crisis. This is My Career Crisis. I'm Ruth Barnes and that's Sue over there. Hi, Sue Ahern. Hello again. <laughs> again. We have Roz in the studio. Hi, Roz. Hello. Roz has come to us from East Sussex on this Monday morning. Thanks for travelling all that way. You have got the most incredible title to the episode, I think. This is my one of my favourite ones so far. A hundred job applications and counting. Um, just wonderful. Let's let's get straight into your story. You've spent four years working in project and client management for two London marketing agencies. You worked very hard to get into this job. You dreamt of doing it for years. However, and we've all been here, the reality of the job was much different to what you imagined. Um, even after promotions and working for a competitor to try and shake things up, um, you still ended up with just long hours, stress and ultimately anxiety and misery followed. So you quit London. Tell mm-hmm. us about what happened. So I'd been working for two marketing agencies in London for four years, thinking that was my dream career path and it was something I'd wanted to get into since I was a child really at school and decided I'm going to work in marketing and later defined this is the sort of area of marketing I want to work in. But the reality of doing that career path didn't really match up to this dream that I'd formed in my head. I went to a second agency in part to test whether the doubts I was thinking, is this right for me and am I happy? Whether that was just tied up with my first employer and I just needed a change or if, no, it was more related to the career path that I'd chosen and if that was not quite right. And six or seven months had gone by at this new business I joined and one day it was just something clicked, I suppose. I received a pretty horrible email from a client and that was a good thing because that made me finally accept how bad a state I was in. So let's get on to the 100 job applications and counting, um, which is what happened then, obviously, when you, you'd taken your break, you'd, you'd had that much-needed peace of mind and and um, been there for your mum and just you probably just thought to yourself, this is what life is about for a bit, just family and sorting your head out. And then, and then <laughs> you have to get back to work. So 100 job applications, was it really 100 did you count them? Did you top them yeah, up? I did top them up after I'd been treating job hunting and applications a bit like a full-time job. 
Which is what you're meant to do, isn't it? Yeah. Although in my case, I didn't have a full-time job. So I was trying to get a full-time job um, and spent, well, five months uh, scouring the internet for jobs that I felt I had transferable experience for. Because obviously you weren't looking to go back into agency work, marketing work. Right. That was the one. Was it really 100? Did you count them? Did you top them up? I did top them up after I'd been treating job hunting and applications a bit like a full-time job. Which is what you're meant to do, isn't it? Yeah. Although in my case, I didn't have a full-time job. (laughs) So I was trying to get a full-time job um, and spent, well, five months uh, scouring the internet for jobs that I felt I had transferable experience for. Because obviously you weren't looking to go back into agency work, marketing work. Right. That was the one thing I was really clear about. I felt because I'd tried two agencies... I felt that I'd kind of proved the point and got the T-shirt there that I decided that is not something I want to return to, which was frustrating because that would have been the easiest thing for me to do. Once you've done a little bit of time at one of these places and you build yourself a good name, then it's quite easy to someone to come knocking on your LinkedIn inbox and say, oh, are you interested in having a coffee? And that happened. All these competitor agencies got in touch with me and I didn't go into the full details but I explained actually no I'm looking for a change thanks but no thanks but the sort of jobs I was applying for were related to projects that I'd delivered when I was working for these agencies for example something like an internal communications executive or specialist because I had delivered some internal comms campaigns for clients and all the jobs I went for were working client side so actually in the marketing department of a business as opposed to an agency all corporate sort of jobs which makes a lot of sense I think to go in-house I think that that would be a a very natural step in the right direction were any of the jobs that you applied for with clients that you had actually managed yes um, but only a couple and I did have quite a few phone calls or conversations with old clients of mine who I did have good relationships with or they pointed me in the direction of other people that they knew who might be hiring so I was talking to people and trying to use my network Um, and I tried applying for roles that were more junior than my level that I'd kind of left behind or at the same sort of level a couple that were more senior sort of reaching high and yet I didn't feel that comfortable spending a lot of time applying for these senior jobs because I'd taken a real confidence knock, to be honest. Um, And I counted up this 100 figure after I clocked up, oh, hang on a minute, it's been five months that I've been doing this. How does it feel to write that many applications? You must have felt like you were going a bit mad after a while. (laughs) Um, Well, yes and no. I had some, admittedly, I had some down days where just felt like I was getting absolutely nowhere and I couldn't see any kind of end to this process at all for sure there were some really low days but I would quickly pick myself back up again and think well this is my mess I've got to be the one to get myself out of it it's up to me to keep going and no one's going to offer me a job if I don't find the job and apply for the job or talk to the right person and the interviews were coming in slowly okay yeah um 
think I only had about eight interviews and that wow. was a mixture of phone interviews, some more formal than others. Um, some face-to-face and one video interview I did. This can't be uncommon, though, to send out that many applications and to only get a trickle of response and phone interviews. I mean, it just does my head in. <laughs> yeah, often for the first sort of round, they'll, they'll do that. But I mean, I, mean I, I think the key's in the hundred, really, because that's an awful lot. And, and do you, would you say, I mean, it, 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 full of admiration for you, because it sounds like you took it so seriously, you did it in a really professional way. But was there an element of scattergun there in that you were trying to cast your bread on the waters to see what would come up that wasn't what you had known before? Is that a fair thing to say? It was scattergun in the variety of jobs I was applying for. Because I'd come from an agency background and therefore had quite broad experience of delivering different kinds of projects for clients, like websites, like internal comms, campaigns, advertising, events... The sort of broad range of experience I had meant I was looking for jobs to apply to that related to those different projects I delivered. So that was scattergun, I suppose. But I was really particular, almost too much so, arguably, and really considered about ensuring that every job I applied to had to tick some level of interest or fulfilment for me. I, I had to feel some kind of emotional connection to the employer or failing that, think, well, this job could be interesting because I didn't want to go back to a situation where I would just be miserable again yeah. just for the sake of getting a job and going back to some level of normality. I was kind of worried about just replacing like for like and ending up in another. But it, but it seems so if, you, if you've got 100 applications and that only turned into eight interviews... Mm-hmm. So, so obviously the applications weren't hitting the spot. Yep. In previous episodes, we've talked about the fact that um, we all have a generic CV, but we need to tailor it to every job, which I'm sure there was an element that you did that. Did you, for example, have job descriptions from the jobs that you were going for? Did you ask for any job descriptions? Yes, in some cases. It, it depended where I'd come across the job that I was applying for. Um, sometimes if it was a job board and they were only advertising there, you might get a bullet point listing, which didn't really give much away. Sometimes the job description would be uh, on the careers website of the employee. It kind of varied, but I never actually contacted someone before submitting that application and saying... I would really Hi. encourage that. Okay. I mean, sometimes they haven't got one. They haven't got their act together. But but also, you see, sometimes a lot of people who work, uh, who are employed as managers in companies, have not been trained to recruit properly. So HR will probably do a first, you know, trawl. For, and, and what they're looking for are keywords that's to say, oh, yes, they've already done that. And especially when you're making a move from a job that you have done to a job, it takes a leap of the imagination, mm. which you can make very easily because you know yourself very well. They can't. Mm. So we have to make it really easy for people to give us an interview. And I've, I've said previously that the whole purpose of a CV or an application form is to get you in front of people because once you're there, you've got a much better chance. Yeah. So we had eight successes so you were asked to see people for eight times tell us about that some of the companies were well known I think everyone would have heard of those names and the the most consistent sort of structure that I found in face-to-face interviews was competency based questions 
which I would prepare for in advance if I knew that's what I was going to be facing. What kind of question is that? Just give us an example. Uh, This is what was quite difficult. Sometimes these questions are so very specific, it's hard to actually think of an answer that answers the question. So one company I interviewed for was Virgin Atlantic for a brand role. Um, The one question was something like, can you tell us about a time when you've worked with multiple stakeholders internally or externally or both, you decide, when there was a difficult task that you were managing and someone else interfered with the outcome of the project and you had to manage all these stakeholders. Right. So the it's something like, but, yeah. I'm kind of making that up a little no, bit no, no, I can't but remember. It, but and, and of course you'd be sitting there getting bombarded with this. But the basic bottom line of that question is, how do you manage different interests? Yes. That's it. That's yeah. all it is. But I think, you know, what, you're a bit nervous because yeah. you're in an interview and you, you're asked that question and you forget your name. You know. Well, they've just said stakeholders four times yeah. and I'm immediately confused. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. But I think, you, you know, Ros was saying that she prepared very, very uh, well done because that's what you need to do. Um, so the competency-based interviews, they will be saying that they need um, there are certain competencies that they need you to have. You know, so there are going to be some gen- generic ones like organisational ability, soft skills with people, managing people, budgetary control, stuff like that, which you can get from the job description. But the other thing I do is don't leave it until you have an interview. Um, uh, something I, we may have mentioned previously. I'm a great believer in keeping a record of positive achievements all the time. So if, for example, in your job that you had previously, you had a very difficult situation where you had two, I'm sorry, I have to say in inverted commas, stakeholders, you know, people who um, have conflicting interests and you've managed to smooth that out. And I'm sure there's loads of examples when you've done that. Then what you do is you make a note of it. So you get a little book, you write it down. You don't, the, the key to the book is there should be no negativity in it at all. I like so, it. Your positive work diary, yeah. my work achievement diary or something. And you don't have to do it every day. And it can, sometimes it can be really small things, you know. But there are three reasons for this. So the first is if you have any kind of annual appraisal, it's a really good source book to go to. If you want to negotiate any kind of promotional pay rise you can actually say you know things that you've achieved make it achievement oriented when you're filling in cvs you've got a record of it and sometimes you just have a shit day and it's quite good to have a look at it and say i'm not a bad person so win-win really but so if we thought probably if we're talking about any kind of client facing thing there are going to be different interests right now can i think of some examples where I've managed different interests. And the thing is to provide yourself with examples. I've been in a situation before where a question has been asked. Um, First of all, I don't think the person's asking it made sense of it. Um, But it was obvious that the candidate didn't exactly have that situation, exact situation. But why they were so good in the interview was they were saying, well... I haven't been in that exact situation, but what you were saying there makes me, it makes it sound like you're talking about managing different interests. Well, just last week, I, so you're turning it around to your own advantage. But if you're going to come out with all that jargon, but I mean, that's what you're wrestling with in interviews. You know, the the key to good interviewing, I know I do training in interviewing, and the key to it is that you really relax the candidate and you speak in normal English to them. The reason for that is that if you're, um, it, 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 there's an interview performance that people do. So if people are very nervous, they either become more of themselves or less of themselves. That's not actually helpful for me as the employer because I want an honest view of what Ros is like. So I know she's going to be a good candidate for my job. 
So it's their responsibility, but we need to know how to play that system. And also, how honest are you in interviews? Like a question like, tell us about your, you know, your biggest weakness. I mean, where do Mm. you go with that? Were you ever asked that? That was one of the questions that came up a couple of times, once with Virgin Atlantic, actually. Um, But it was phrased, what's your biggest area of development? I think, rather than it being <laughs> weakness specifies. And I was honest, but I... What did you say? I felt it was a trap, and I knew I haven't got the job. So what did you say? So yeah. I said, I don't like being thrown in at the deep end. Yeah, probably not the best one to choose. Yeah. <laughs> Especially with a business like that that's... Um, well, there's an element of needing to be thrown in at the deep end sure and being just, able to cope yeah. and I mean, hit the ground running. That's the kind of language they want to be hearing. Yeah. Right? I think it's a really lazy question because it plays into the hands of the bullshitter. You know, I shouldn't knock it. I've built a career on it. But, um, <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I, I am very tempted sometimes to just say chocolate. <laughs> you know, what's yes, your biggest I've seen examples of that. Yeah. Um, but obviously, and, and unless you've got people who've got the same sense of humour, that's not going to go down very well. I'm really not recommending that answer. But if you, if there's a chance that it may come up, then I think you need to prepare it. Hmm. And so, and you, so for example, um, up, up, what I can honestly say about myself is that I am very passionate about what I do. And in the past, that passion has got in the way of logic and clear thinking. So that's something I work incredibly hard on all the time. Right, that's such a good answer. Because <laughs> you've basically turned a, a, a potentially very negative question hmm. with a negative answer into something very positive. Absolutely. And um, and it's true. It is true, actually. I don't want anybody to be telling lies. But, but, but take something which you know perhaps in the past you've struggled with, but you know you're okay with now, and then present that because that shows progress as well. It also shows a level of self-understanding, you hmm. know, um, analysis of yourself, which I think comes across very well. Uh, what is your strongest I mean, often it's interesting, a lot of women find that very difficult mm. to answer. So think of something and practice it in a mirror. And then when you go in, you can you can say it. So you can say it confidently. My problem was always that I used to laugh after I'd say I'd make quite reasonable sounding statements and then just laugh. So what, undercut that's yourself. Ridiculous. As if you're undermining. Yeah. It's embarrassing. Yeah, you don't it's embarrassing. Another thing that you can do, uh, which I find works with some people, is if you say something like, I've been told that I'm... It takes the sting out of it. Mm. So I've been told that I'm actually very organised or whatever it is you've been told because I'm pretty sure if you scour your appraisals or you look at your positivity book, you'll find something that somebody commented on Mm. about your client service reputation or whatever it is. And then you can say, look somebody in the eye and you can say, well, I've been told that I'm very blah, blah, blah. And that somehow makes it better because you're not saying it about yourself. Do you think that was the, the, the deal breaker question then? Is that what not, that, that's what didn't get you the, the job, that question? I think so, yeah. yeah. You could see the light go out in their yeah. eyes. <laughs> and I didn't answer it well because I ended the sentence there. I said, I don't like being thrown in at the deep end and I didn't qualify it. Or, qualify and go yeah. on to say, yeah. maybe what I was then advised later to say was something along the lines of, because I'm a really organised person, I like to work in quite a methodical sort of way. I like my ducks being in a row and feeling in control. And that's why I don't like being thrown in the deep end. Um, And I didn't really do that well enough. It it obviously set off this red flag and I could see one of the interviewers looking at me saying, oh, alarmed. (laughs) Well, why? 
And what do you mean? Have you ever experienced that before? What was that like? And exactly. Okay. Yeah, they, exactly. So there are those sort of throwaway questions, like one that always floors people, and I absolutely don't know why, is why do you want to work for us? Yes. Mm. <laughs> and people look like rabbits in the headlight of a car, you know. <laughs> oh, uh, well, you know, you have applied... So it's those little inconsequential questions sometimes. Often that's seen as an icebreaker when somebody first comes into the room, you know, to settle them down. And they look as though they're trapped. What do you say, though? I mean, what do you say without sounding like a total kind of brown noser? Why do you want to work for this company? I mean, without making it sound like, well, this is my life's goal. I always wanted to work for Virgin Atlantic. You know, they're going to know that you're exaggerating. How do you answer that in a genuine way? Yes, it's got to be genuine. But what I what I would say is, well, well what is the reason that you've applied? You know, it might be more money. Can but, you say that? Well... <laughs> Not in those words. I, I wouldn't encourage that. But what? But what you you there is a reason. So first of all, if I was sort of coaching somebody, I'd say, well, what is the reason? You know, tell me honestly what the reason is. Then we can find a more palatable way of, of saying it. But also, I think often what candidates do is they talk all about themselves too much instead of what they can bring to the business. So okay. instead of saying, well, like you know, if I hear one more time, I think I need a new challenge. <laughs> How nice for you. Yeah, go and get yes. therapy. Um, <laughs> But, you know, um, so, well, I've built up um, a a, a steady reputation for working well with clients, sorting out problems. Um, I think in my present job, I've reached the end of what I can do for them. So I've got to look at other things. And I think we're a good fit. I think, you know, and then you can portray some information you found out about the client, the the people that you're interviewing for, because I know you do, blah, 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 blah. And I think that's quite, that could fit quite well with the skills that I bring. And words like I can add value to Mm -hmm. are very good. Don't say what the job can do for you. Mm. Say what you can do for the job. That's excellent advice. Were there any other questions that really tripped you up, Roz? Actually, do you know, one question that surprised me that I hadn't prepared for in advance was being asked, what would you focus on in the first three months of doing this job? And I'd never come across that in an interview before. Good question. And it actually was then uh, extended to, it was a project manager six-month fixed-term contract with National Trust. And the question was specifically, besides project management, what would you focus on in the first three months of the job? And I asked the interviewer to rephrase it because I didn't quite understand. Okay. It, I sort of drew a bit of a blank. It seems quite obvious now what I might say. But at the time... What would you say now? I think what I did go on to say was I'd... I like context and learning. So I would want to start building up relationships across the business with different functions and understand the background as to why this person was needed in the project that was going to be delivered, um, what benefit it would have and how it would help people across the business. Maybe learn some background or history on how the marketing function was set up and they had their own in-house brand team and that's becoming more popular but I'd never really come across that before with clients I'd worked with so I sort of focused on learning information gathering would be my I, starting I, point I think the key is always people 
Yeah. Right. So the first thing you you do in any job is get to know the people, mm. find out what makes them tick. Mm. You know, and can you hear the difference in the language that we're using? Because you're talking about you're talking about project manager mm. type ways, um, context. You said, which is all very important, but actually, often what's missing is the soft skills. It's about getting. It's with people. If you can convince people in the first couple of weeks that you're a jolly good thing, the rest of your life is going to be a lot easier. My career crisis. 
thought of that and it actually felt really good and something just clicked, it felt right. So instead of thinking about how can I use project experience that I've worked on and apply that to these companies I'm applying for, what other experiences do I have that I could maybe take into a new career path? And I considered that the most meaningful and rewarding experiences I've ever had have been in my social life and professional life as well when I've helped people and made some sort of a difference. And I don't mean delivering a website for RBS, not that kind of helping people, but actually making some sort of improvement to someone's day or how they think or their life. And I considered, well, maybe instead of this being something that's quite special in my life and gives me a sense of purpose and meaning as to why I'm here maybe I could take that into a career path so I started looking into coaching as a potential option and recently I went to a weekend taster kind of course giving a bit of an overview as to what it's like to get a qualification in coaching and how it can be a career and I felt like I was among my people and it's sort of (laughs) sounding really corny but uh, it was just absolutely fantastic and I thought I'm not going to lose the momentum I'm going to pursue this and I signed up to study a diploma with the the body that I did this training course with and that will be me studying for the next six months maybe a little bit longer because it's um, structured in a part-time way once I've past and I'm qualified that'll mean hopefully I'll be able to I might want to set up my own business to find clients that I can coach and make money from that skill set and that credibility of a qualification that's been a really significant epiphany type moment but I'm not I suppose I'm not there yet I know I'm working towards that so I'm headed in a positive direction but the crisis isn't quite over yet because in the meantime I need to be doing other things to make money and, and fill my time because that's a part-time commitment. It's wonderful to have found the thing that you want to be doing though. Yeah. I mean it's obviously something I do and it's going to take a while. Yeah. It's, you've got to take a longer view on this. And um, when you qualify to be a coach, that's one thing, but then you have to get so many coaching hours under your belt to be properly qualified and obviously just for your own development you have to have a supervisor who coaches you and all of that sort of thing um all of which i think i mean it sounds like especially with your experience and your positivity i think you could be really really good at do you think though that it, I mean, obviously you've got to get a bit more of a, a day job or at least a part-time day job to help you with all of this but do you not think also that your attitude towards that job might be quite different now because it doesn't matter it's not the be-all and end-all. It's a way of getting money to do what you really want to do long-term. You see, when it's your full-time job and it's your career, it's so much mm. more important. Most people who I know who work part-time are really happy people. That's <laughs> <laughs> so true. Because they go in and they see it in its right context. It's a job. And it gives them money. And But I, I'm, I'm just wondering, I mean... I, Without wanting to stress you out again, you could get a job, couldn't you, to earn some money on a freelance basis as a client service manager. Obviously, you could pick and choose your job so it's not as stressful as it was before. Is that something that you've considered? Not for too long, to be honest. I know it is an option, 
and it could be temporary and I wouldn't have to see it as this indefinite scary thing that will never come to an end. I think my concern is I'm worried about just diving straight back into the mess that I walked away from. But aside from that, the sort of emotional bit, I haven't done that sort of work for quite a while now. And coming back to the confidence issue, I would feel really quite daunted going back to that, thinking, oh, God, well, I'm going to be really rusty and I don't know any of these people around me anymore. And How important is the money? Do you have a figure that you have to earn? It's quite important, but I'm lucky in that I don't have some commitments that would really tie people down, hence why I was able to walk away from the job. So, you know, I don't have a mortgage. I don't have children. I don't have those things to be concerned about. Um, But you definitely want it to be part-time. Yes, I do. And that's partly because another project that I want to be focusing on, and this is this is really for my benefit, is to make use of all the learning that I have adopted while going through this career crisis. And subconsciously, I've ended up gathering a list of about 50 resources like books or podcasts like this one or TED Talks or speakers, all all kinds of content effectively, which supports people who aren't happy in their jobs but who don't know where to go next or who want to do more meaningful work but don't know how to define that or who want to walk away from corporate life. All these supportive tools are out there to help what I think is an increasing problem of just going headfirst into a career path and having a bit of a meltdown when realising they're not that happy in that. But I don't think there is one hub or one place where all this information is available it's taken me 18 months to build up this list and I would like to share that knowledge to help other people in what can be a really quite lonely time. I think that's wonderful but um, for free. So this is something I'm thinking about I would obviously need to fund the startup costs of setting up a website and hosting and things like that that would be my money. I'm wondering at the moment how I could get some income from it I don't I'm not thinking about big bucks but maybe try and break even to cover the hosting costs and things like that um and I'm considering what those options might be at the moment like sponsored content from some of the speakers for example that I'd like to include on this website or subscription or subscription um I need to spend a lot more time thinking about what those options are because this is new territory to me to start a website from scratch and be in charge of the content and what happens with it. Um, I mean, in terms of the coaching and the website, I think that sounds like a really exciting future. But in the short term, Mm. you have to earn money. So I think you need to be quite hard-headed about this because if your lack of income means you can't achieve what you want to achieve and there are going to be expenses there, that's going to be such a shame. So... I think you need to work out what hours, how many hours a week do I need to work and what's my bottom line in how much do I need to earn? Mm. And then try and find a job that fits that. And it doesn't actually matter what it is. No, exactly. You could do, I mean, I I spent a a long time doing some quite brain dead work years and years ago, but it was okay because while I was there, I could work on all my other projects. (laughs) So I just sit there doing all my other work and actually building a website at the time and 
and doing a lot of writing on somebody else's time. But also That's you, you finish ideal. at six o'clock or whenever it yeah. is, or you've got your prescribed hours so that you can just work really, you know, go in, give them a good a couple of hours work and then come away. It mm. could even be local because you're not based right in the middle of London. Mm. So there might not be any commuting because obviously that adds expense and time to things. Um, but it could be just a job that you could probably phone in, really, because of the level of expertise and experience that you've got. But but I, I do think that's what... It, rather than thinking what's going to fulfil me, it doesn't matter if it doesn't fulfil you, because you've got a bigger dream. Mm. It's what do I need now? What are my priorities? It's to earn X pounds a week, and it's to only earn work for so many hours a week. And then we can fit something around that. And, and I think because you're setting your sights a little bit lower, it'll be easier. Yeah. 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 Have you had any leads... Yeah, there's a few things sort of related to different things we've both talked about. Um, last year, in fact, I did a couple of lower skilled minimum wage type jobs. Um, and one of those was working in my local gym, which is fun and quite sociable and easy work. And I'm still sort of on the books, as it were. So I that sounds great. It was, yeah, it's good fun. <laughs> so I, uh, you know, put my hand up to cover shifts when people are sick or on holiday so that's an option but not a very sustainable one because it's just the odd bit of cover here and there um i think you can set your high sights a bit higher than minimum wage yeah there's a well she's become a friend who i used to work with who has set up her own business with her husband and they live quite near me so they're working just the two of them with local smaller businesses than the sort of clients that we used to work with and We've been in touch quite a bit recently and she has said when some bigger projects come along and they can justify spending extra money on an extra pair of hands, then I feel confident that they'd be calling me up and would trust me to help. So I know that's sort of on the back burner that could come up in the future. And also that's that's a really good niche for you because, you know, if you've got a small business, they don't want to take somebody on that they've, they've got loads of employment rights. But what you're saying is, no, no, I don't want a job. I'll come and do days for you. You pay me this much a day. That'll yeah, suit me. it would be project-based yeah. a week here and there or a month, whatever, whatever the need is. So I know that's something that's possible or likely to come up in the future. Um, another option is I did some work on this last year of proofreading which is for me a very easy task to do but for others it's quite difficult and Mm. that's why they're comfortable outsourcing it and paying somebody to do that service so again I had a conversation with another old colleague a few days ago who's ditched client services sort of work and gone into freelance proofreading and he gave me a lot of pointers about how I can put myself out there and start to get some leads so that again do project-based type work like annual reports for the FTSE 100 companies and and that kind of thing so I know I need to put some work into that but that's again something I hope. And I think just in terms of priority I mean first of all the question I have to ask is why on earth did you think you needed our advice because it sounds to me (laughs) like you are so sussed you've done all the right things but um, I think this is about priorities now. If you can get some a regular income stream established, that's the priority at the moment because that will free you up to do so many to so many other things. And that lead on, I mean, I, I can't imagine me ever reading annual reports. I, just, I haven't got the attention span. But I mean, if if you've got a, a knack for that, that's so fantastic. It will pay quite well as well, and that will free you up to do all those other really exciting things. Mm. 
Well, if you have any advice for Roz or you like the sound of her and you want to hire her, then get in touch. <laughs> um, you can contact us, info at chalkandblade.com. Um, we always want to hear from you or tweet us at My Career Crisis. Roz, thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. We it's been keep lovely. us updated on how yeah. you get on. And thanks we'll, so much. Uh, when your website launches, you know, we'll buy some advertising space. <laughs> um, but thank you so much for coming on and we will be back soon with another Career Crisis. Thanks for listening. My career crisis. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.